The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Morning Summit Church. It is Palm Sunday, which means we are one week from Easter. We are also in our third week or beginning our third week of our 21 days of prayer. If you've been with us in the last couple weeks, you've heard our heart's desire for this season. We want you, our church, to understand and see that there is more of God. No matter where you're at, and whether you feel like you are completely connected to the Father or whether you feel as distant as humanly possible, we want you to know that God is bigger. <laughs> there is more. And our desire for each of you to get more of him is the reason for this. Prayer connects us to the Father and it allows us to commune with him and to begin to see his characters, his mercy, his power, his strength, his love. And so that is what opens opens up a portal for us to receive more of him. And if you were with us last week, I scratched the surface on this idea of people specifically within our church, but really just people in general needing to wake up. There were many of you who came up to me afterwards and even said, I I feel like I've been asleep. You were talking to me. I've been spiritually asleep. It's been weeks or months or years since I've really tried to press into God. And, And having heard that that wasn't the intent of the message last week, that wasn't the main focus, but I I wanted to come back today then and talk specifically about the importance of us, the church, waking up, being alert, being alive, and seeing our desperate need for God. And so in that, I want to look today at Revelation chapter 3. And we don't go into Revelation a whole lot, but it's Jesus speaking to seven churches in the provinces of Asia and speaking to them at different levels, uh, realistically, just about where they're at. And there's one church, it's the church of Sardis, okay? And Sardis had a problem. Its perception was not its reality. What people thought they knew and saw was not really what existed. And when you think about perception versus reality, okay, let's, let's play this out for a moment. Have you ever seen something from a distance, maybe a person, Okay, you've seen them from a distance, you've heard others talk about them, but then when you got to know that person, it was completely different from what you'd been told or what you'd sensed. The perception was not the reality. I think many of us have experienced that, right? Many of us have, have felt that. I did. I had you wrong. I had you pegged completely wrong. I've heard this, unfortunately, more times than I care to admit, talking with people who are no longer connected to a local church. I'll say, well, you know, why, are, why aren't you going there anymore? And they'll, they'll almost always use this phrase, I pulled the curtain back and I, I saw what was behind it and now I can't be a part of that anymore. The perception, what was on the outside looked great, but when they saw the heart, when they saw what was really going on, it's something they could no longer be a part of. That's a travesty. That's terrible. That's something I don't want Summit to ever become. If, If someone sees the whole of Summit, I hope it's exactly what they see from the outside. But the reality is oftentimes 
our perception is not the reality. The church in Sardis was the exact same way. In the region of Lydia, they were it. They were it. For over a century, they were known as the most prosperous and wealthy city. They were a cutting-edge city, but in 17 AD, they were rocked by an earthquake that destroyed a good portion of the city. Now, in Oklahoma, we know that sometimes when catastrophe strikes, it brings people together. It makes your community stronger. But also times when there's literally a fissure in your community, it just exposes something that's already underlying. And in Sardis, it was an apathy of the people. It was a lack of pursuit. They, they had been good for so long, they forgot how to be good. And so while the city was rebuilt after 17 AD, it never was prosperous again. It never came close to attaining the levels that it had once in the past. And the church in Sardis, unfortunately, they mirrored the culture. Does, does that sound familiar? The church is supposed to impact the culture. The church is supposed to supersede the culture. But many times culture finds its way into the church and that, that's what happened. It's not just a 21st century thing. It happened in the first century. And this town that looked beautiful on the outside that from anyone coming in to visit would have thought it was great, it was actually dead. And that's what happened to this church in Sardis. And so in Revelation chapter three, Jesus calls out the church in a very harsh way because while on the surface, they appeared to be healthy and strong, the perception was not the reality. The perception of a church was not currently what was going on. They looked good on the outside, but on the inside, they were dead. And if you're wondering, where is he going with this? I want us to hear honestly the warning that Jesus gives the church in Sardis. I want us to look at his prescription for revitalization, for waking up, for becoming alive again. And I want us to see if maybe individually and as a church, we need to heed the warning and, and take the prescription and see what it looks like to wake up. That's my heart. That's my desire. That's why we're giving this message today. So we look at Revelation chapter three, starting in verse one. It says, to the angel of the church of Sardis, write these things. So God is speaking to John, the apostle, who's writing this down. Uh, but speak to the church this. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. If that's not one of the reasons why Revelation is a tough book, I don't know what is. One of the, to him who holds the seven spirits, the, the word there really means the sevenfold spirit. We can say with great certainty that Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit, the one who brings the Holy Spirit. And so that, that's clear. We see that actually all the way back in Revelation chapter one, verse four, it says, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits, the sevenfold spirit before his throne. So from heaven, from majesty, comes to you the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the, the one who's with the sevenfold spirit, the same one here, who is the prescription for revitalization. The Holy Spirit is the hope for a dead church to come alive. And, and we see that here. 
more of God. We, we already see it laid out before the warning's even been given. The solution for anyone who's fallen asleep is more of God, more of him, more of his spirit poured out upon us. Let's finish verse one in Revelation chapter three. So back in Revelation chapter three, Jesus says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. The perception is that you're alive, but you're dead. Oh, how harsh. Jesus doesn't hold back in this section in the book of Revelation. There's a perception that you're alive. There's a perception that you're a thriving church, but you're not. You're, you're dead. That's hard for us to swallow, but it, we, we get it, right? To a non-Jesus observer, the church would appear to be vibrant, full of believers, but they become apathetic and unwilling to change. They're buried in their dead works. They're lifeless works. Doing a lot of good without the life-giving spirit of God. So what are these dead works? The church of Sardis, well, they met, they prayed, they worshiped together, they built buildings, they served the poor, they did ministry, yet all without the connection to the life-giving source of God. Their deeds were dead, not because the deeds were wrong, but because what they were doing, they were doing so as if they were asleep, what they were doing, they were doing because they'd done it before. They were not prosperous. They were not living. They were going through the motions. And Jesus sees that and he calls it out. And I just have to draw the parallel sometime to my life. I'm doing the right things without the power. It's a form of godliness, but without the power. It's a scary place to be in. But in our culture, especially within our church culture, it's an easy place to get. The church in Sardis is not that different from the American church. It looked good, but they were actually dead, and Jesus knew that. The word dead here, we, we think of death, like end of breath, no, no heartbeat. That's not really what the word death means here in the Greek. It means of poor quality or useless. The church was of poor quality, it was useless. The faith was of poor quality, it was useless. The, the people were poor quality, useless. Not in their character, but in their pursuit of God. Although the believers were very, very much alive, they were gathering, they were doing what church should do, their works and their faith were useless and of poor quality. So Jesus, in the next two verses, Revelation chapter three, verses two and three, he gives a warning and he gives a prescription for how to revitalize this church. And it starts off in verse two. He says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. What you're doing is okay, but it's not good enough. Remember therefore what you have received and what you've heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. I love that Jesus in that moment could have looked at a dead church and just been like, I'm out, I'm gone, I'm done. 
But that's not what he does. He gives the warning. He says, wake up. This is important. Wake up. And for those of you who still have life, you, you need to be the first to lead the charge. You need to come alive. You need, you need to see that you've been slumbering and you need to start to pursue greater things. You need to start to pursue me. There's five demands actually in these two short verses that I think help us see what those who have grown sleepy and those who are slumbering need to do. And the first one of those, the first demand is simply to wake up. Wake up. The picture I have in my mind is of a person, you see this on TV shows all the time, right? Someone is, is dying and they know they're going to die and the person doesn't want them to die. And so they, they like have them and they're just and they're like, stay with me, stay with me, don't go to the light. But this is actually the same sentiment. It's Jesus saying, hey, stay with me. You're almost completely dead, but stay with me and actually do go to the light. This time come to me as a source of life. This is your only hope, but you need to wake up. In a church where there's a lack of persistence and hunger for Jesus, it will cause the believer to drift off into sleepiness and into looking like a dying culture, rendering the spiritual works that they are doing ineffective and useless. You wonder sometimes why some churches just seem to thrive and others seem to perish, yet they're doing the exact same thing. Well, it's the effectiveness of their work. Are they doing it in their own strength, in their own slumber? Or are they doing it through the power of God? Jesus knows this church in Sardis needs to wake up. They need to wake up. They need to get with it. The second thing they need to do is they need to strengthen the things that remain. Strengthen the things that remain. Among every dead or dying church, there are those faithful few who are clinging to the Lord those who are pursuing him, those who do desire more. And Jesus knows that it is those people who will lead the way, who will lead the revival, who will step out first and say, hey guys, we all need to wake up. I'm the first and greatest of sinners, but we all need to wake up and get with the program. We can't keep just doing what we're doing and expecting the results to change. What's sad but so true about this is that I see within many churches the first to respond to the call of God is the one who needs to do so the least. It's the one who actually is connected, but they see like, hey, I'm not perfect and I'm, I'm being called to more and I want more. And, and, and it's really the person who's miles away that needs to respond. But the first one to move, the first one to wake up is the one who's actually not that bad off. And that's sad, but it's so true. And I'm not judging anyone, but I see that even in our church. I see that those who are alive are the ones who are moving and I see those who are sleeping. I see them just staying put. And maybe today's that call to wake up. 
to strengthen those who are alive and who are pursuing the Lord and to move forward for more of him, with more of him. The third thing that Jesus says is that they are to remember what you have heard and what you have received. That verb, remember, is in the present tense, meaning it is something that you are supposed to do continually. It's not a one-time remembrance of, oh, I remember back in the day when this happened. It was so good. It's remember. Remember that moment. Remember that season when Jesus invaded your life. Can you think back to it? Can you think back to that moment where you went from death to life? For me, it was a season. It wasn't a moment. Some of you have the moment. For me, it was a season. It was a season of revelation and renewal and strengthening. It was a season of humbling for me where I had to put my faith and trust not in myself, but in Jesus. For me, I can remember that season. I can think back to what God was doing and how alive I felt. Can you, can you picture that? Can I say this with great sincerity? If you're struggling to find that season or that moment, it maybe has never happened for you. And once again, not, not to judge or confuse or to scare, but if that has never happened and that is a big decision that you need to make, that is a big moment that, that I want you to experience the, the invasion of Jesus into your life to become your Lord and Savior, the full putting of your faith, hope, joy, peace in him for eternity. Can you remember, can you think back to, to what you've lived, to, to what you've heard, to the gospel message? How important is it, church, to continually preach the good news to ourselves, to continually remind ourselves that Jesus came, lived, and died for us. He lived the perfect life that we don't have to live and we can never live so that we might stand before God sinless, not because of our own righteousness, but because his righteousness has become a part of us. That transforms the way that we live. That pushes us beyond morality and into relationship with God. That is, church, what we have been called to by the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you cannot think back and remember that and then continue to remember that, I would strongly encourage you to look at your heart and say, have I ever stepped into that in the first place? But for those who have, this is the third step to waking up to remembering, I can remember when God was at the center. I can remember when I hungered for him so deeply. And for some reason now in the last season of my life, that is not present, but I have to remember that. I have to go back to what was, to what I heard and to anchor myself in what I've received. That's the third thing that Jesus calls us to do. The fourth, hold fast to what you have received and heard. Now, that sounds just like number three, but that verb hold fast means to keep or literally to do. You need to live out what you've heard. You need to live out what you've received. Obedience is tied to this. Jesus is calling his church to a level of godliness and obedience. Why? Because holiness matters. They looked good, but their hearts were far from him. And holiness matters to God. And if you want the best, are you asleep test that I can give you? Ready? Here it is. Best, are you sleeping test? Because you may not know. 
does it grieve you when you sin? When you sin, because we all do, does it grieve you? Does it sour your stomach? For those who are asleep, they will sin and sin and sin and it will have very little effect. The effect is maybe a little bit of guilt, possibly a conscience that comes from the repercussions of your sin, but not from the actual sin against God. I can tell you church that there have been seasons of my life where sin was not a big deal. Holiness was not a priority. And I can tell you then also that those were seasons where I was asleep and I needed to wake up. And in this season now where I'm coming alive, where I'm seeing my need for God, I I can tell you that the same sins that used to mean nothing to me now grieve my soul. That's the best test that we can give. And the final thing, the final thing that Jesus says to do is to repent. The fifth thing, the fifth demand is to repent. Literally, an intentional change in direction back towards God. You are asleep and you're doing nothing. You're drifting then away from God. You need to intentionally change your direction and head towards God. That will set you on a course of healing and revitalization. It will set you on a course of life. No more talking about a few things or doing a few things that are good. The prescription is to literally transform your life, to turn your direction and to want more of him. The time has come. You've got to turn your life. And Jesus is saying it to them very clearly. That needs to be today. And he might be saying that to you. At the end of the warning to wake up, Jesus lays it on a little bit thicker. He says, if you don't, you don't know when it's going to happen. I might have to come like a thief. And there's dozens Dozens of smart people who have tried to interpret this. What do you mean you're going to sneak in like a thief? You don't know when I'm going to come. What, what does that even mean? There's dozens of ideas. Some think literally I'm going to come as a thief that steals life. That's not who God is. I don't think that's what he's talking about. That The thief is going to come and literally remove God's presence from the church. They're going to come and steal that. I, I think if, there's, if there is a great interpretation of that, I think that might be it. That, hey, if you don't wait up, then this is going to completely die and I'm going to be completely gone. And there may be still hope, but not at that point. It's, it's dark, it's dismal, and it's just a warning. It's a warning that we need to hear that for those who are asleep and who stay asleep, that if they don't wake up at some point, there's a repercussion for that, that you do not want. It's a strong warning. It's a strong warning And if we're in a season as a church where we want more of the presence of God, right? If that's what we want, if that's what we're seeking, then we want more of his presence, not less. We want addition, not things to be robbed or taken away. And so church, it's time to wake up. We've been in this season now for 14 days. And some of you are still asleep. And I've learned in the last couple of weeks that I had months to prepare myself for this, that the journey I'm on is different than the journey you're on because you're hearing it in snippets. And this is something that 
we as a staff have prayed about and thought about for months. This is something that we've prepared for. This is something that, that we've had experiences and opportunities that, that are unique to us that, that allow what's happening in my heart and the lives of our staff and of our elders. It's, it's amazing. And I want that for our whole church. That's why we did this. I want that for you. I want that for you. I want you to wake up and see that there is more. There is more of him to start every day asking for more of him, to end every day saying, God, there's gotta be more to desire prayer, not because you need a bunch of stuff, but because you need him. I want that for you. I want that for our church because then when a church, when we get that, that's gonna spill into our community. That's gonna revitalize our beings. It's going to touch our neighbors. It's going to be amazing when we get that. And here's the scariest part. Here's the scariest part. More than likely, the people who will respond today are the ones who need to do so the least. And there's some of you who are sitting in this room going, not a chance. Mm -mm. I know where this is going and it's not gonna happen. So I'm not gonna scream at you. In the calmest voice I can say, I will utter the words of Jesus to the church of Sardis. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. That's not coming from someone who's done it perfectly. That's coming from someone who just woke up recently themselves. Wake up and see that there's more of him. There's more of him available for you. Remember what you've heard. Remember what you've experienced in the past. If you've never experienced that, then, then I would encourage you to step out today and to say, I need Jesus. I need to put my whole life, faith, hope, and trust in him. I want us to wake up. We have communion in the room today so you can remember what he's done. Maybe, maybe you take communion every week and it's become so mundane and so it's, Useless, not communion, but how you take it. Maybe today it will wake you up. Maybe it will become fruitful. Just for today, not that it wasn't. Maybe it will become that way. There's people every week that want to pray with you. You've never done that because that feels weird and out of place, but maybe that is the alarm clock sounding and you need to step out and wake up and come and say, I need more of him. And we'd love to pray with you for that because he's here. He's available. And we can never, ever satisfy ourselves with anything else but him. So church, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray that we wake up. Do I feel like our church is dead? No. But do I feel like there are many, many, many people who have been lulled to sleep by our culture? Yes. Because I've been one. So let's wake up. Let's seek more of him. Let's see what God's gonna do when he starts to invade our midst. Father in heaven, come and shake us awake. For those who are distant and far, call them by name. Start
startle them from their slumber. For those who have never placed their faith fully in you or cannot remember the time when they did, Lord, I pray that you move them into relationship with you, into a desire for more of you, into a life surrendered to you. For our church, I pray that we would be fruitful. We would be useful. Our acts would be ones that bring you glory and life to our souls. God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, for your glory, come and move in our midst. We love you. We need you. We thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.